Chapter 14 of Hard to Beat by a Self-Made Man This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 14 Mr. Smithers is Outwitted Jumping Jewelligans, he exclaimed under his breath. This is tough. Just as I was on the point of getting away. I hope it isn't Mr. Smithers, but I'm afraid it is. Talk about hard luck. Thump, 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 thump. The knocking was repeated more insistently than before, as if the visitor was getting impatient, and the noise resounded through the almost empty house with great distinctness. Gee, that racket is enough to waken the dead, muttered Bob as he hastily sought shelter in one of the empty rooms. As Mr. Grubb isn't dead, nor Doff either, and should fetch him here in short order. Mr. Grubb, however, seemed to be taking his time on this occasion. The truth of the matter was that he was in a stupid sleep in the kitchen. Thump, 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 boom! The last was a vicious kick administered to the lower panel of the front door by the man outside. It must have aroused Mr. Grubb, for Bob presently heard him shuffling along the entry at a slow pace. Thump, thump, boom! Thump, thump, boom! Bob could not repress a grin, in spite of the seriousness of his position. Mr. Grubb reached the front door at last and fumbled with the lock. What in thunder is the matter with you, Grubb? thundered Mr. Smithers when he stepped into the house. You've been drinking, haven't you? Come on, you apology for a man, till I put your head under the pump and sober you up. What do you think I hired you for, eh? Bob could hear the big man drag his accomplice back into the kitchen. This is where I sneak said Bob, opening the door of the room where he had been hiding and gliding toward the street door. A fresh surprise awaited him. This time the key was gone. What am I going to do now? Almost groaned the brave boy, so acute was his disappointment. That was the question. What was he going to do? His escape from the room would soon be discovered, and there being no evidence that he had left the house, Mr. Smithers would certainly ransack the place from roof to the ground floor in an effort to get a hold of him again, and Bob was no match for the big western man, physically speaking. I'll try the windows in this room, hazarded the boy, retreating to the empty room he had just left. He did, but they were all securely nailed. He slipped across the hall and tried those from the other room. The result was the same. All were nailed up. Then Bob's eye fell on the hole in the floor, and down he went on his hands and knees and began peering into the black void below. Blessed if I can see a thing, not even the depth of the place. Maybe it's half full of water. It smells damp. Bob recollected that he had some matches in his pocket safe. He struck one, and by the light of it saw that he was looking into a kind of cellar with a stone flooring covered with an inch or two of stagnant water. I'm going down, though it looks as though I was jumping from a frying pan into the fire. The distance was only about eight feet, and when he landed, he struck another match. Following the foundation of the building, he found it was built on cemented rock, with apparently not an opening of any kind. All the good I've done by coming down here was to put myself in a trap, he said in a dejected tone. Hello, what's this? He stumbled over an obstruction. Striking another match, Bob saw it was a small skiff with a pair of oars. It did not look as if it had been used in months. How did this get in here? mused the boy. Not by that hole in the floor, I'll bet. Then there must be a doorway opening out into the stream I saw under the window of the room above. Yes, there was a small square opening in the stone wall, 
and it was closed by wooden flaps, like cellar doors generally are, and secured by a hasp held in place by a big nail attached to a ring. Bob drew out the nail and pushed open the flaps. The hinges were rusty and worked grudgingly, but they yielded to the boys' efforts. The road to freedom had been reached at last, but it was a wet road. The creek flowed right alongside the house within a few inches of the bottom of the opening, making it a simple matter for the pair of stout arms to launch a skiff. Mr. Smithers is bound to discover me the moment I get out on that stream. Unless he's got another boat, I'll have the advantage on him, however. This creek runs into a narrow stream further on. I don't know where it leads to. I don't care much. If it'll only get me out of this scrape. With that, he began pushing the boat through the opening as well as he could, considering the state of his thumbs, which were still in bad shape. I shan't be able to do any very hard rowing, that's sure. Can't grip the oars, except with my fingers. At that moment, he heard a noise above. It was a solid stamp of Mr. Smithers' number nines, and they seemed to be bent on business, too. I'll bet he's found out I'm missing and is making things hum, grinned Bob, working all the harder to get the boat through the opening. It certainly would not do for Mr. Smithers to come upon him before he had accomplished his task. In his excitement, Bob forgot all about his sore thumbs. Gradually, the boat slipped out toward the creek. It was dipping in the water when the boy heard the voice of Mr. Smithers roar out behind him. So that's where you are, you infernal little monkey! Bob turned his head to see the ponderous legs and body of the western man coming down through the opening in the floor thirty feet away. With a desperate shove, the boy succeeded in launching the skiff into the creek as the man came splashing toward him along the stone flooring. Now I've got you, and you won't have another chance to play me such a trick again. But Mr. Smithers was mistaken. As he stretched out his arm to grasp the boy, Bob eluded him, sprang through the opening into the boat, and pushed off out of his enemy's reach. Come back here, confound you! blustered the red-faced man, thrusting his head and shoulders through the opening and glaring after the boy. Come back, dear! Not on your life, Mr. Smithers, he replied with a sense of exhilaration at his escape. Come back or I'll shoot you full of holes! And Mr. Smithers reached for his six-shooter, which he was accustomed to carry in his hip pocket, notwithstanding the penal code of the state of New York forbade him doing so. But the Westerner had little respect for the laws of any section of the country when they operated against his own convenience. Bob was not a little startled at his new aspect of affairs, which he had not anticipated. But he was not going back just the same. He might better take the chance of being hit by a bullet than the certainty of what he knew awaited him if Mr. Smithers got his hands on him again. Grasping the oars with as firm a grip as he could, he pulled for all he was worth, and the skiff being light had shot forward at a good clip and had gone more than fifty feet down the creek before the western man got his gun pointed at him. There was a flash and a crack, and a ball clipped a chip out of one of the oars. A second, third, and fourth report followed, but none of the balls came nearer, for Bob was rapidly widening his distance. Mr. Smithers recognized the fruitlessness of any further target practice and put up his revolver, but if there had been any fish in the creek, they would have been astonished at the language he hurled after the escaping boy. If the western man had any other plans looking toward the recapture of his late prisoner— he did not immediately put them into practice, so Bob was permitted to continue down the stream unmolested. End of chapter 14